As we turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This will be our text throughout the summer as we study the Lord's Prayer and as we use the Heidelberg Catechism as one of our teaching tools, one of the Reformed Confessions that we have um, to better understand what this prayer is teaching us. Because this is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And so we'll be reading Matthew 6, 9 through 13 for several weeks, but we'll be focusing in on just kind of one line at a time. And it just so happens that on this day, Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all whom it applies, we get to focus on our Father who is in heaven. If you were with us last week, you heard the, my thesis is essentially that prayer is learning to say please and thank you to God. And on days when our Father in Heaven is the title for the topic of the sermon, and it's Father's Day, those are those moments of God's sovereignty where he simply says, you're welcome, I worked that out just for you. So in gratefulness for God's sovereignty and for uh, Father's Day, we'll focus on our Father who is in Heaven. Before we turn our attention to God's Word, though, let's pray together. God, our Father, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, our primary and utmost concern. Speak to us through your word, illumine your word to us by your Holy Spirit, that we may hear clearly from you who our Father is as we have been adopted by you. Open your word to us, God. For we listen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sharon Skur shared with me earlier this week that she um, was listening to a Christian radio host talking about the difference in church culture between Father's Day and Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, we tend to have a little bit more of a yay for moms, pray for moms mentality. Um, we celebrate them, and we also recognize uh, those who wish that they were mothers, or uh, there's, there's a lot of empathy involved, and there's celebration. We do yay for moms, pray for moms. There's empathy and honor and virtue that we bestow. And so we hear psalms, or we hear sermons perhaps from Proverbs 31 or other places in Scripture. And we kind of hold uh, mothers up in this way. Yay for moms, pray for moms. Then the radio show went on to discuss how on Father's Day, we tend to do the opposite. We tend to say, dads, boo, do better, dads. We tend to be a lot more critical of fathers. So Mother's Day, we celebrate mothers. And then a few weeks later, uh, often fathers kind of get the brunt of, you should be doing better. 
that's kind of unfortunate. Um, for one, it's a little bit unfair. As this is my first Father's Day as a father, though, I can kind of understand the reality. Um, mothers are very um, intuitive. They're really, you know, good with Ada. And, and I'm just not. Um, I never really know what I'm doing. And I'm a lot more flustered and easily thrown off. And I, I still wonder, how in the world does something so small have such full diapers? Like, where did all this come from? And there's definitely those moments where I don't even know where to start. And then Caitlin comes in and just kind of saves the day. So I guess as a father, if Caitlin's washing the baby in the bath, I'll do dishes. That seems easier. I know how to handle that. Or Caitlin's doing feeding and changing diapers. I can vacuum the house. That seems a lot simpler. So maybe that's some of my own learning for what it means to be a father trying to be helpful. But nonetheless, this dichotomy between Father's Day and Mother's Day should not be so. Uh, One of the Ten Commandments being, honor your father and mother. And so we do want to honor our father and mother, uh, very literally to give weight to them, to give them their proper due and respect. Father's Day and Mother's Day, for that matter, are a pretty easy holiday for me. Um, I have and probably a typically great relationship with my dad. Um, we worked countless hours on the farm together. He's taught me things. He's shared with me wisdom. I respect him and look up to him. And due to some horrendous circumstances um, around my late middle school, early high school time, I never went through that phase of thinking my dad didn't know anything because he was wise and helpful helping me through a very difficult time in life. When I think about my dad, you know, he's 6'6", 280 pounds, big beard. I mean, he's just a big presence. He's strong. And I know that as a child, he could protect me. And I also know that he's kind and gentle. Those are two fruits of the Spirit from Galatians, kindness and gentleness. I know that my dad, the same dad who, when I was at one of my martial arts belt tests, was given a board, and the instructor was trying to make a point and showing how impressive it was that all of us were breaking boards. And to make a point, this guy gave my dad a board and said, Now, sir, you couldn't break that between your hands, could you? And my dad said, Oh, I don't know. And he took it and went, Crunch! And he broke it with his bare hands which really took the wind out of all of our sails because now our board breaking looked a lot less impressive. What we were doing with our hands and feet and knees and elbows, this big guy with a beard just did with his hands. There's all that strength mixed with all of that tender care when he holds his granddaughter. Father's Day is an easy one for me to celebrate. My dad's given me a lot of the words of wisdom that I live by. We call them divrisisms. You might have heard me say some of these. My dad is one who would always tell me, Stephen, you're responsible for your actions, not other people's reactions. My dad also was able to teach me the ethics of hard work, but not without a sense of humor. Another divrisism is this. I'm not afraid of hard work. I could lie down right next to it and take a nap. 
and tends to be something that is said a lot. If you show up to the job site a little bit late, you get called a blister because you show up when the work's all done. Or while moving furniture out of houses when it's bulky and difficult, my dad will say things like, huh, it's not heavy, just a little awkward. I know people like that too. All of these things are little bits of wisdom I learned from my dad. Father's Day is an easy day for me to be celebrative and appreciative. But that's not the case for everyone. One of my closest friends does not and really has not ever known his father. What he does know of his dad is that at a very young age, for her safety and for the safety of her son, my friend's mother took herself and her child away from the alcoholism and abuse that was in their household. And then a year after that, Timothy's father was killed in a car crash, a drunk driving accident where he was the drunk driver. Timothy has never known his dad. And the things that he does know are not encouraging or inspiring at all. There's a weird void on this day. And there's a void for others. He's not the only person who either had an absentee relationship with his father or never knew him or never had the relationship that he wanted or hoped for. For some people, their fathers are a symbol of anger and distress in which everyone else in the house had to walk on eggshells around them so as to not set them off. Father's Day is not a celebrative day for them. It's a difficult day to wrap their minds around. And yet, for still others, for people in this very room who have suffered abuse at the hands of their fathers, Father's Day is a difficult day indeed. What does it mean to celebrate and recognize fathers when for some folks, their father is the person who has caused them more pain in this world than anyone else? That's a reality of our broken world, and that reality gets brought from all sides into today, into Father's Day. Some of us had great dads. Some of us had no father figure at all. It's one question to ask, what does that mean for a day once a year like Father's Day, knowing we come from all these different places? But it's another entirely to consider, what does it mean to pray our Father? Jesus, in his own teaching on telling us how to pray, starts the prayer by recognizing our Father who is in heaven. Our Father. If we had a great dad, that seems easy. It seems to point towards something. But what if you didn't? How then do you learn to pray this prayer that starts with our Father, particularly if it's one of the hardest people to wrap your mind around? Jesus gives us the identity as children of God, which is for each and every one of us a reframe by what we mean when we say, our Father. Now, there's an interesting word that Jesus uses here. Most of you, if you've been in the church for some time, have heard before of the word Abba. 
This is the, this is the fatherly, intimate word. This is, the, this is the equivalent of saying, Daddy. And Jesus, at different times, refers to God, our Heavenly Father, as Abba, as Daddy, with all of the intimate and close and personal connection that we associate with a child looking up and saying, Daddy. But in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus doesn't use the word Abba. He uses a different word, pater. We'll we'll, we'll learn to say that because I'll say it a few times, and it's nicer if we know what the word is. So first you say pa, like you're an old Westerner talking to your dad, pa. And then a piece of paper, tear, tear. So put them together, pater. It's a very specific Greek word, and for the sake of fingerspelling, probably p p. A-T-E-R. And it's, it's a word for father, but it's, but it's, a, it's a big word, right? It's a, it's a big word for father. So P-A-T-E-R. I, I see you guys up there. Um, it's a special word for father, and it's, it's unlike the other ones. Because this is not the, this is not the daddy familiar word. This is a grand word. A few lexical definitions of the Greek here would be a male ancestor, the father, or the father of our nature, or even both parents. So our father should also connect us to the Ten Commandments of honor your father and mother. Pater can also refer to a more remote ancestor, the founder of a family tribe, a progenitor of a people, a forefather, like Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, or David is referred to as a pater, a father of Israel. It could be an ancestor, the founder of a nation, or simply your parent being held in very high reverence. But it's a higher, more revered title than would be normal to use at home. A title of honor. Another definition is pater is used to describe teachers as those to whom pupils trace back the knowledge and training that they have received. So we think about Socrates or Aristotle being fathers of philosophy, paters of philosophy. But we get to think of Jesus linking us to God our Father as our pater even in the ways in which he teaches us to pray to God in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father. And he's not making the comparison of pray to our Abba, because that would be too easy to confuse with our earthly fathers. And make no mistake, earthly fathers are not perfect, and they weren't perfect in Jesus' day either. So all of the associations that we bring to our earthly fathers would be contained in the word Abba. And instead, when Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father, he uses pater. He sets God higher in that regard. Still connected as our Father, but above and beyond all of the earthly associations that we make with our earthly fathers. We heard the words from Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As a father 
has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That kind of archetype of what a father should be is what Jesus is pointing to. If you were here last week, we did the exercise of singing a few words from a hymn, and we recognize that they're connected to all of this other meaning and words that we know. No one in my family hears the words, Great is thy faithfulness, without thinking of my grandma DeVries' funeral. All of these words have connection to them. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, Our Father, words like from Psalm 103 would be associated with Jesus' teaching. Psalm 103 gives us words as a father has compassion on his children. Prayer has a teaching nature to it. And so for one, it teaches us who God is in Psalm 103. But for another, it also would teach fathers to have compassion on their children. It both reflects to the reality of the father that we're praying to, and also if we are to somehow dimly reflect that reality to the best of our ability, it teaches us and points us towards it. What I'm probably best known for saying to Ada is, why are you being so unreasonable? And then I need to pray Psalm 103 one more time again, as a father has compassion, which is love and patience combined, for his children. There's teaching moments for all of us. Teaching for dads, certainly. But more than anything else, there's a reframe for all of us Regardless of what your earthly father is like, Jesus is asking us to reframe what we think of when we think father in the capital letter sort of way. Maybe you had a great relationship with your dad and he points towards helpful ways of understanding what a father should be, in which case this can be helpful. But even if you didn't have the relationship you hoped for and have a lot of grief, The fact that Jesus offers us a different version and vision of what a father is can leave us hopeful, knowing that there is a design and intent for what a father was meant to be. And it's meant to be lived into, and it's meant to be sought after, but it's only fully known in God, our Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven. So whether you're in the category that finds your dad helpful, or whether you're in the category that's hopeful, we all join together in this part of Christ's identity. Jesus knew his identity incredibly well. And a large part of that, as we read through the Gospels, is he knew who his father was. He was here to do the will of his father. And he's always talking about God. God, our heavenly father. Now, if you notice in the Gospels, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, doesn't really get mentioned again after the birth narratives. Historical tradition of interpretation of Scripture thinks that Joseph might have died at a reasonably young age. He was around, he taught Jesus some of the skills of the trade, but he didn't last very long, and he was called to heaven early. That's possible, but not verifiable. But the other piece of this is simply that Jesus, talking about his father, is always pointing to his heavenly father. So whether Joseph was around or not, Jesus is calling people 
not to hold up their earthly ancestors as the highest ideal, but is calling on people to recognize God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, as their father. Christ's identity is shaped in knowing who his father is and in doing his father's will. And we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, share that identity with Christ as children of God. That's why in the church we talk about ourselves as family. In the liturgy, we refer to one another as friends, because Jesus did that in the Gospel of John. Or we refer to one another as brothers and sisters, because we all have the same Father. Our Father, who is in heaven, has adopted us as his sons and daughters. And if we are sons and daughters of God, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We yield our allegiance and our will to one Father. As Will Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas, uh, both uh, former workers at Duke University Divinity School, uh, Willimon and Hauerwas, on their teaching on the Lord's Prayer, remind us that this prayer in its entirety is not forgetting what we want, but rather for bending our wants towards what God wants. And there may be a deep human longing for a better relationship with the Father, or there's a gratitude for the Father that we had. But in any case, it's not about what we want as much as bending our desires and our wants and everything that we wish and hope for towards what God wants for our lives. And part of what God wants for us is to remind us, as the Catechism reminds us, that we are but children in the eyes of our Lord, dependent upon him, needing to trust him, needing to trust that he will protect us and love us and care for us. But it's not just an individual thing. Our Father. And the our here is not meant to be possessive. We don't own God as if he belongs to us, as if he is ours. But it's a shared plural different ones here. Now, there's a fair amount of siblings and and cousins and all kinds of other relations here. Someday I am going to make a family tree of North Holland, just for fun. There are brothers and sisters by blood here, but each one of us is a brother and sister because God is our Father. And Jesus, in teaching us to pray, our Father, asks us to reframe what we mean by family, that All of us together share one heavenly Father. Regardless of what earthly family we came from, we share that collective identity as God being our Father. By the Holy Spirit, we are united to Christ. It is our shared identity as being people who are chosen by God. It's not possessive. It's not ownership. But in fact, it's a recognition that God owns us. We are the people of God because God has chosen us. Even God who is high above the heavens and the earth, even God who is sovereign over all things, even God who created the universe as the handiwork of his fingertips, that God has called you to be his child. To say, you are my beloved. You I care for. I want you as my child. And that's personal, but it's not private. 
Because we share our Father together, all of us. Our Father. Now, when Jesus first taught this prayer, he was teaching it to Jewish followers. But very soon, there would be Gentiles learning this prayer as well. People who weren't Jews by birth or uh, by, uh, by proselytizing. Pretty soon, Jews and Gentiles together, from different cultures, from different families, from different customs, would all be praying this prayer together, saying, Our Father. Sitting next to one another. Our Father. Not about tracing lineage, not about saying, I'm a higher status than you because I go back further, but the shared possessive identity of our Father. God has called each of us, and as sons and daughters, we are all united and equal as children of God. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, as the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians. This is our Father, the one who has called us, the one who has claimed us. And we are his. And it is our Father who is in heaven. Now, there will be more on that in a few weeks because the Lord's Prayer continues. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll get to more of that. But the fact that we're introduced in this first line to our Father who is in heaven is this great reminder that God, even though he cares enough to claim us as his own, God is so far above us. God is in heaven, and yet he chose us and called us to be his. Our Father who is in heaven. God is located there in all of his majesty and splendor around the throne. And yet we know God as our Father because Jesus Christ came into this world. Jesus, God's own Son, shares his identity as a Son of God with all of us, as sons and daughters of God. So when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, we remember that this is about reframing everything that we know and claiming that we all share one Father together a holy and righteous and good Father who is everything that fathers were meant to be. That is our Father. We're reminded in the book of Peter, 1 Peter, that once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have received mercy from God our Father, Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, the one who has claimed us as his own, who adopts us as sons and daughters. That is our Father, our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray to him, being mindful of who God is as our Father, sharing in the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.